Hello, hello, hello. My name is Robert. I am the recovery guy, and you have entered into the fix. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Robert. I am the Recovery Guy and welcome, welcome to The Fix. If you haven't got your fix for today, I hope to be a part of it. If not, you're jumping off place as it were. Always excited to be in front of the microphone. Always excited to share my experience, strength, and hope with you by the grace of God and the fellowship of my program of recovery. I have been clean and sober 36 years, 3 months, and 17 days. My uh, final sobriety date, as I understand it, is April 25th, 1986. I'm going to share some things with you today. Some you'll um, subscribe to and some you won't. Some you'll keep listening and some you'll turn it off. And I don't know who you are, so I'm going to speak to you. And some of you won't care, as Dr. Nesman taught me about the rule of thirds in um, in one of my psychology classes and communication. Having said that, uh, I'm really excited. Uh, I'm traveling this afternoon, uh, Thursday afternoon. I'm going to be in uh, Cedar House Recovery Center in Southern California. And if you're ever looking for a wonderful establishment, uh, clothing, food drive, anything that you can do, uh, Daniel and his team do an incredible job of serving the uh, addicted community. And they've been there forever. Matter of fact, when I was back in college in the early 90s, I was really hoping to do my internship at Cedar House because they just had a reputation of understanding the addict and what it was like to be an addict as well as what it would take for recovery. I was um, about seven years clean and sober at the time, so I had a good idea in the direction I was going, very involved in AA and NA and other 12-step groups, and I found them in great alignment. So once again, if you're ever looking for any group to uh, support or encourage, uh, check out Cedar House and you can find them on Instagram. Uh, also, I will be speaking uh, Friday night at the uh, Valley Alano Club in Rancho Cucamonga. Excited about that. Other news for now, I have deactivated uh, my Twitter account. I'm sort of reevaluating that social media platform. Um, I was pushing back and getting too much pushback. <clears throat> Maybe I don't understand uh, the Twitter format. Uh, maybe I was speaking too much truth. Maybe I wasn't kind. I'm not really sure. However, so um, just don't follow me on Twitter because I, I won't be there. Of course, I'm still on Instagram, recovery underscore guy, uh, YouTube, real recovery guy. Of course, major podcast channels for recovery guy podcast. And of course, my website, uh, recoveryguy.org. You know, one of the things that I, I'm going to touch on, and then I'm going to get back to it because it takes a, a larger explanation. Today's um, title is Recovery is Not an Event. Recovery is Not an Event. And I actually should add the caveat, one-time event. I'm just going to leave the title as it is. Recovery is Not an Event. And I'll discuss a little bit more of that later on. One of the things that I'm going to be doing tomorrow at uh, Cedar House is working with them on step one. I love step one as my friend Pete the Greek, as you've heard me say many times, it's the only step we ever need to do to perfection. 
and my sponsor, Will, 42 plus years of personal recovery, will remind me that even before step one, we had to ad- admit to our innermost selves that we were alcoholic or addict or what, what your behavioral or substance condition is. We had to admit that our, to our innermost selves that we were addicts. This is the first step in recovery. And then we get to the first step where we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and our life had become unmanageable. And I'm not going to teach this workshop during this podcast. I just want to touch base with you if you're new or relatively new and you're struggling with the other steps. Please, please, please go back and revisit step one. Uh, I, I love the the author. Roy did this workshop, and I'm going to be. I, I found him on uh, online at uh, royy.com. So r o y another y dot com. Check his work out. I'm sure you'll appreciate it. I know step one has really got some great worksheets in there. So if you're working with anyone or even want to cover it yourself, you're going to want to go and then email even Roy and tell him what you think. Roy at royy.com. Let him know what you think of it. I love how he starts out. Roy says, the steps shall, shall, shall set you free, but first they'll piss you off. <laughs> I love that opening because it's a, it's a, it's a real takeoff on what uh, Bill W. says more eloquently than all of us could say is who likes to admit complete defeat? Practically no one. We have to view this as it says in uh, the 12 and 12, as only the dying. If you don't think you're dying from alcoholism, from your addiction, and again, whatever that behavioral or substance is, eventually it will kill you. If it doesn't kill you, it'll kill everything around you. So let's say that you're not an alcoholic or drug Let's say that you're addicted to pornography. And I as a, as a former porn addict and and someone in recovery and really averting my eyes and doing all the things necessary to stay clear in that area or a um, compulsive gambler or you know overeater today I weigh 219 pounds there was a day that I was throwing up three and four and five times a day just to feel good and then as you know many of my stories I became obese within my recovery I ballooned up to 395 pounds because of my food addiction. Now, granted, I didn't drink, I didn't use, but I could have died morbidly obese as my father did. Today, I weigh 219, 220 pounds, feel fantastic. I'm I'm a very healthy 68-year-old with a lot of energy about my life, about my spirituality, my relationship with God, Laura, family. Uh, mentally, I'm as in tuned as I ever have been. And these are the things that we learn along the way. That is why I want you to know that recovery is not an event. We're going to talk about that. But I, again, go back to RoyY.com and check this out. You know, step one is so important because step one just sort of opens the gates. It's the primer to everything else we will ever do. And one of the things that my dear friend Pete the Greek tried to stress on me, he said, Robert, if you actually called me Bob back then, uh, he said, Bobby, if you don't do step one to the best of your ability with all the earnestness at our command, at your command, what chance do you think you're going to have with the rest of the steps? So once I get over that step, I love this quote, begin by believing. Believe that you can get clean and sober. Believe that you can lose that weight. Believe that you can relinquish that anger. Believe that you don't have to spend money on porn sites, going to going to strip clubs, uh, averting your attention from those who love you, uh, not having that extra slice of pizza because it's in front of you. All the things that we do, don't gamble away a paycheck 
and not have any money left to uh, bring that milk home or that cereal home for the children uh, or provide for your family. You know, why does a bartender always have to get paid first? Why? Because we have to drink or the drug man. You know, you know what I'm saying? So once we recognize our condition, our hopelessness, admitting we are powerless is the avenue to power, as my good friend Bob Darrell would say. Believing is the beginning of hope. Don't you love that? Believing is the beginning of hope. Hope. My dear friend, through reading and listening, don't know him personally, but what a friend he is, John Maxwell said, if there's hope in the future, there's power in the present. And oh, we are a people who could use some power, aren't we? We're discouraged. We're demoralized. We're in disarray. We don't even know how we got here, and yet here we are. One day we wake up in the midst of our calamity. The wife is gone. The house is gone. They've repoed the car. The employer says, I fired you two weeks ago, right? The drug man says, you owe me way too much money. You can't be here anymore. We can't even drive because we lost our license because of multiple DUIs. We were running from the law because we have open warrants out there because we don't have fines to pay. You know what I'm talking about. The relationships aren't working. There seems to be some type of imbalance. We're getting angry over the wrong things. We end up with the wrong people. We... We're, we're not sure if we're a hostage or a hostage taker. You know what I'm saying? We're just upside down in our world. But I am here to tell you, we can have lasting. <laughs> Some people might not appreciate this. I do. Scott, Eddie, Buddy, Jack, Will, and Steve do. Texas Mike does. All the giants who went before me, who taught me who are either still clean and sober today with 37, 45, you know, 38, 39 years. Or my sponsor, Jack, who died with 44 years. Slow Will has 42 years. You know one thing they have in common? What we all have in common, maybe you have that in common as well, is that we believe there is a path of lasting remission. I didn't say cured. Don't get crazy on me. Don't, don't start dialing back and wondering what I said. I said remission. Because what we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Why, if, if, if I continue to do the right things and eat the right things, and, and take my treatment, my chemo, whatever the treatment is, I have a heart condition. I have AFib, right? So I take Eliquis. And the doctor says, if you take this Eliquis and do these other things and stay in shape and stay active and keep your cardio up, you're probably going to live a long time unless a bus hits you, right? I expect to die of old age. Why not? Because I am doing the things necessary for me to live long. Now, obviously, I've known, you know, 44-year-olds who just got off a marathon who dropped dead. I don't understand it. They have to do an autopsy to figure it out, an aneurysm or what have you. I hope I'm not that person. And if you know someone who was that person and you miss them, my, my sincerest empathy goes out to you. My point is, when it comes to addiction, I have far too many friends. My friend Justin B., who runs Rico12.com, great podcast. You ought to listen to it. It's every Friday afternoon at the 11 a.m. Utah time, uh, 12 o'clock, uh, 12 noon um, uh, Washington time. Uh, he's got seven years of personal recovery. I know people, my friend Scotty B., pray for Scotty, his son, just overdosed this last week. What a tragedy that was. Uh, I'm Scott's sponsor and dear friend. I've known Scott for a long time. We went to high school together. And he called me on Monday night. And he said, Bob, my son died. I found him slumped in a chair. This is real. What we're talking about is life and death. 
So everything I'm telling you, you may scoff, you may think it's not me, it's not that. Well, you know, my good friend Richard in uh, early recovery at the turning point said, these are just yets in your life. Everything that has not happened to me is a yet. With my lasting remission, I can keep them as yets for the rest of my life because I believe that to stay, to keep moving, I must stay moving. I must continue as as Newton law in, in his theory of motion. Things that are in motion tend to stay in motion. Things that are at rest tend to stay at rest. We can have lasting remission. Do you know that the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, Dr. Bob, he, there, there's more of a background to Dr. Bob. He was very much into sedatives. He used the sedatives just to maintain a certain amount of insanity because he would then have to drink. And once he stopped drinking, he could regulate his his sedative intake and moderate that as a doctor. But once he drank, it was Katie barred the door. And that's why Bill went to visit Dr. Bob and he was the first recruit or member when they formed Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's where the partnership, again, you can dig deeper into that. Do you know that uh, Dr. Bob had 17 years of personal recovery? By the time he met Bill and stopped drinking, 17 years passed, and then Dr. Bob passed away. Do you know what they call his recovery? And this is in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. They call it permanent sobriety. That's what I want. <laughs> Don't you want that? Don't you want to die clean and sober? From my journey, after my relapse at 71 days, I have had, up to now, permanent sobriety. I have had lasting remission, again, for 36 years, three months, and 17 days. That is that is me. I have lived longer, over four years longer in my recovery than I did when I got to the rooms. I got to the rooms, as I mentioned, uh, when I was 32 years old and I was dying. And yet today I live. Don't you want to live? We can have lasting remission. Here we go now. Recovery is not an event. You know, I go to an event, uh, Lauren, I love music and concerts, uh, you know, we just got uh, finished seeing uh, Blue October and the Google Dolls, and we're going to go see Sammy Hagar. We saw uh, Stevie Nicks. We're going to go see Elvis Costello with my brother Jim and sister-in-law Anne. We're going to go see Jackson Brown. We got tickets again for Blue October in uh, November. We're going to go see David Spade. We love events. We love to go to street fairs. We love to go to restaurants. We love being outdoors, you know, events are one-time thing. You know, there's a date, there's a particular event. I know in my neighborhood, there's a barbecue on um, uh, August 19th. I'm going to go to a concert with my son that night, but I know that's an event. I'm going to go to a concert on, on uh, a week from this Friday with my son, Rob, and we're going to go participate in an event. It is a one-time thing. We go, we do it, and we leave. This is not the way it is with recovery. We work this program one day at a time for the rest of our life. And it's not so I don't drink or use. It's that I will have a quality of life so attractive that will I will not want to drink or use or do anything else harmful to me, right? I won't want to go cash my paycheck and gamble it you know, nowadays you don't even have to go into a casino. You can do online gambling all day long. You don't even have to, you know, enter into a sports book. You can bet the ponies from your phone. You know, that's how badly addiction is reaching out to you. We just have to make sure that we don't reach back. You know, people, they're often dismayed and maybe even a little discouraged when they find out that not drinking or using 
is only the basic requirement for sobriety. You know what I think one of the problems with Alcoholics Anonymous and other 12-step programs? You know, the success rate, as I understand it, is lower now than it ever has been since its inception. Do you know why that is? The program hasn't changed. The 12 steps haven't changed. The plan and path of recovery hasn't changed. What's changed? You and me. For some reason, and and I guarantee you, we coddle people way too much. We act as if they're drowning in the shallow end where they can stand up. We're afraid of hurting people's feelings. You know, I tell people, and, and I'm not saying don't be kind. We can be direct while still being kind. You know, there there's a thing uh, out there and it's called tough love. Tough love is is love while putting your foot down. Tough love is saying, I love you. I care for you. I'll do everything. You know, like my dad said, when he dropped me off at the Rhett Butler Motel five days before I would come back and get sober. So on on April 19th of 1986, my dad dropped me off at the Rhett Butler Motel and he turned around and looked at me and said, your mother and I aren't going to watch you die. Wow, that was tough love. My dad was a big man, 6'2", 290. He's big. He was a boxer. Broad shoulders. Your mom and I aren't going to watch you die. This was a man who tried everything to help me after he had gotten sober, but that was tough love. That was what he needed to, so so he had to give up in order to gain me back. Now, fortunately, nine months later, what a great story this is. On Christmas Day um, with my girlfriend, Mona, and and uh, we were having dinner. Uh, my mom and dad were over, and my dad came up, gave me a hug, handed me a watch that I still have today, and he whispered in my ear, he said, your mom and I don't worry about you anymore. <laughs> Maybe the greatest Christmas gift I ever got was my pops, my dad saying, your mom and I. So he went from, we're not going to watch you die, to we don't worry about you anymore in a nine-month window. Not because I came back to the rooms as an event on April 25th of 1986. It was everything I did along the way. Sobriety only comes over time and when a program of recovery is followed in practice. And again, I run afoul of people in meetings and and so on. There's certain meetings I don't go to anymore because they just push back because I want to be the voice in the room that tells the newcomer, this is not an event. If you're not willing to surrender yourself to this simple program, you will likely die in your addiction or the life you leave. As Bill would say, any sobriety would be precarious at best. I'm paraphrasing there. It'll be short-lived. Why? Because recovery is not an event. Recovery is a process that occurs over time. There is no way in the world I could do steps one through nine in one fell swoop. I need to digest each step. Do you just run up a ladder? I mean, maybe if you're a roofer or someone who's experienced with ladders, maybe maybe you do. But most of us who aren't familiar with that ladder, you know, we, we take that one step. We get on that one rung and then we make sure we're secure there. I do make sure my ladder's still steady. I climb a ladder a lot differently at 68 than I did at 48. That's for sure. And then I go to the next rung. Is my ladder steady? I got my hands on it. Got everything. I got my balance. Then I go to the thing and four and five. Why? Because climbing a ladder is not an event. Climbing a ladder is a process. Sometimes, you know, if I'm changing a, a battery out in one of my spoke, um, smoke detectors, I have to make sure where I put the ladder. Is it balanced? Can I reach it from where I'm at? You know, if I happen to be, you know, hanging something outside of my patio, you know, I use a different ladder and I climb it a little bit differently because I'm not nearly as high. 
it's not an event. It is a process. And I think one of the things that we lack in modern day recovery is letting people know it's a process. You know, I see people and this is going to sound very judgmental and, and maybe it is, and I make no apologies. You know, they, they, they want to become coaches in their 30, 60, 90 days sober, you know, back in, back in the day now, you know, like I'm old school guy. So you're going to say, yeah, old man, back in the day, blah, blah, blah. This isn't back in the day. This is now. Well, nothing's changed about your alcoholism. Nothing's changed about your addiction. Just because the name of your wife is different than mine and she might be blonde, not a brunette. She might be five, six, not five, two, but you're going to lose her, right? Your, our addiction does the same thing to you today that it did to me when it first started out back in the late sixties and started to groom itself in the seventies. And I was full blown by, by 75, 76. Nothing's different about that. If you think your addiction is different, tell that to somebody who's willing also to buy a bridge at a discount from you, right? Because it's going to hold as much water. It says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. That's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the chapter called How It Works. Who has thoroughly followed our path, not who has absorbed our event, but who has thoroughly followed our path. Now, I'm here to tell you, it's not so much as to what plan of success you follow, as much as it is that you follow a plan that has worked for others. You know, I love Alcoholics Anonymous and NA and OA and GA and SA and EA, but I'm a 12-step guy. I'm also a born-again Christian. I go to church and and believe in in, in God and Christ. But you know what? I'm, I live in an LDS community, and the LDS group has great recovery, celebrate recovery through Calvary Chapel, there's monotheistic religions of the world. There's the Buddhist network. There, you know, there's a lot of other things out there for you to gravitate to, depending upon where your mind and where your heart is at. And there's a lot of other plans out there that work. The reason they don't work is because of you and me, period. So if I'm having a challenge with recovery, if I'm having a challenge with serenity, if I'm having a challenge with with understanding what the next indicated step is, it's not anyone's fault or responsibility, but mine. I must own it because recovery is not an event. I didn't go to sleep last night and doing my 10 step wake up this morning saying, well, I guess I'm done. I guess, I guess this is all the work I can do. You know, just because I'm 36 years plus sober doesn't mean I'm not susceptible to relapse. Everyone is. Everyone who rides a bike uphill, if you don't keep pedaling, gravity, a natural scientific event will take place and eventually stop me and I'll go backwards and I'll crash. That's science. And life, as we find it, is mostly uphill. Isn't that true for you? It doesn't mean it's bad. It means I just keep climbing. I keep reaching. I keep going for that extra rung. I keep going for that other opportunity to have a greater degree of enlightenment. What are you following? Why is it important for you and me to understand that recovery is not an event? Why is it important do you know why it's important? It's important for my friend Chaz. It's important for my friend Wendy. It's important to my friend Angie, to my friend Tess, to my friend Scott, to all the participants that I'll speak to tomorrow at Cedar House. They need to see me as a person who lives and breathes recovery. Why? Because they want to learn how to live and breathe. So it's not just about me like it was when I was out there ripping and running. It's about we. 
It's about me doing the best I can to be the best recovered version of me so I'm available for you when you arrive. I tell this once and I'll tell it again and I'll tell it forever. The preamble of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'll just cut it down real quick because I'll tell you the part that matters to me. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share. And I tell people, and I believe it, if that's the only thing I ever heard, and this is almost read on almost every sanctioned meeting, if that's the only thing I ever heard, I would have stayed. I needed you. I needed to stop being me. I needed to be we. I was so tired. I was so disillusioned. I didn't know exactly why my life was falling apart. I just knew it was. I didn't know how to get fixed, but I knew I was broken. And I'm so glad that the men and women I met in the rooms early on in recovery, did not sugarcoat a thing. They loved me. They hugged me. I remember coming back from my relapse on April 25th, and I met Max, uh, coincidentally, as God would see it, <laughs> uh, in the back of the room of the turning point. And we talked about the difference between want and need. As I tried to tell him all the reasons I wanted it or needed it, he said, you're, you're off base, man. He wasn't going to continue to be my sponsor if it was just something I needed, because there's a lot of people out there who need this. He was going to be my sponsor and be my friend and be my guide if I wanted it, because when we want something, we do something about it. You know, in the positive affirmations, if you've listened to that already, by the way, that's up on YouTube, if I hadn't already mentioned it. I'm a week behind in my YouTube schedule, so everything will come out a week after that you see it uh, published otherwise. But point number two was I can and I will. I can expresses a need or somewhat of a desire that compelling, I don't want to be broken anymore. But whether or not you will, will determine whether or not you do it. Just because I needed something doesn't mean I wanted it. Hopefully the need is so painful that it will translate into a want. That no matter what you say, I will do it because I can't live this way any longer. You know what I'm talking about? I hope that you do because once we understand that recovery is not an event, that it is a lifetime process, that every day I live in steps 10, 11, and 12. Step 10, I continued. It's it's assuming I've already done that. You ever notice the steps, by the way, little sidebar? Do you know that the steps are one of the only recovery plans known to man that deal in the past tense. Read the steps, read every step, and they're in the past tense. Having had a spiritual awakening, came to believe, became willing, we admitted, took a fearless and moral inventory, admitted to. See, everything is made a list, made direct amends. Everything sought through prayer. Everything is assumed that we have done it or are doing it. That's how crazy the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous are. Everything is we, us, you, and me. But I do step 10 to reveal my humanity and my condition of what I'm like without God, my higher power. It moves me to step 11, where I sought through prayer and meditation to improve that conscious contact with God, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And then step 12, it's assuming again that I've had a spiritual awakening. Having had a spiritual awakening, what? As a result of these steps, not an event, not as a result of an event, not as a result of me not drinking or not using, but as, as a result, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried. We didn't wait for someone to come to us. We tried to carry the message to alcoholics and to do what? 
and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Read the steps. It will tell you and me that recovery is not an event. Recovery is not something we go to once and leave alone because we had a good day. We wipe our hands and we say, you know what? I am really a good guy. You know, I'm fantastic. I I think I'm good. I think I'm good. I, I never need another meeting. I never need another inspirational tape. I never need to share with another alcoholic. You know, if that's you and you can stay sober, as it says in the big book, you know, my hat's off to you. Knock yourself out. Go your way. It's just not me. And it's not anyone else I've really known. Was it difficult for me to listen to Steve and the rest of them tell me that I was full of crap? Yeah, it was. Did they do it in love? Yes, they did. I remember last night, and I'll close with this. I was messaging my friend, uh, but uh, Eddie and uh, Buddy or Andrew Chambers, who was another dear friend who was a good friend of uh, uh, Eddie's. But Fast Eddie P, uh, I was mentioning last night because just on my heart, I said, I love you, man. I can't believe what you did for me when I came into the rooms. Eddie had been there 18 months or so. He didn't, he didn't need to become my friend, but he did want to become my friend. And that's what we do because Eddie knew recovery is not an event. When Slow Will allowed me to not be homeless by letting me sleep on his couch, he didn't as much need to as he wanted to, but he was also willing to tell me the truth. Bobby, if you're going to do this, you need to clean house. You need to trust God. You need to work with others because recovery is not an event. Thank you so much for joining this podcast today. As always, my name is Robert. I am the recovery guy and we got broken apart, but we get whole together. Be blessed. Have a great day.